0: Welcome to the WO Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. On today's show, we have Josh Lyons. He's a horseman, clinician, and part of the Lyons Legacy Horsemanship. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great, buddy. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really good. I got to speak with uh, Brandy before a clinic in 2017, and I really appreciate the Lions horsemanship. One of the first things that I watched was your dad on RFD TV back in, I think it was 2004, 2005. And your dad really opened my eyes to a whole new world of horsemanship that I never thought existed. How was it growing up with him?
1: My dad came from his idea. I mean, he's just very dedicated to anything he does. He was a big baseball player, had a contract played for the Dodgers out of high school. Wow. Uh, then he kind of went into coaching, and when he went into coaching, he took a school that hadn't won a football game and took him to a state championship. He's just very methodical and very intense with, with, with whatever he's doing. Well, when we grew up on this ranch and he decided he wanted to be a rancher, then he hit um, the cattle market crash that year. <laughs> but the... The neighbors kept asking him about, about his horses, how how he trained his horses. Now, he didn't know how to train horses. He just had a learning experience as he, as he did it. So then, all of a sudden, the cattle market dropped, and he started giving little lessons you know, on his horses. And then he thought he was going to go do that full-time, become a clinician. And when he decided to do that, our whole life revolved around training horses. There was nothing else. We traveled 30 to 42 weeks a year different clinics. He just went into a full throttle until wow. he just made it, made it huge. He just had a huge passion of, of teaching and because of his ability to coach and that kind of stuff and break it down to lesson plans, I think that carried over into the horse training, you know, where he, where he was able to break it down and help people out. Mm-hmm. And his whole philosophy was about trying to make sure that people knew that he wasn't special you know, that anybody could do this training. It wasn't that you're born with it. It's deliberate practice. It takes work and and time, and it takes effort. Right. But it's not something that you're just born with. That's kind of what he wanted to really push across, is that he can help anybody become a trainer or communicate better with their horse or have a better relationship with the horse.
0: And how did he develop his horsemanship?
1: Completely by trial and error. You know, the round pinning, people took the idea of round pinning because I mean, he really hit that big and he he was known for that for really pushing the round pinning and people got kind of got the wrong idea about the round pinning, but his philosophy was simple. What can I ask the horse to do that he will say yes. So ask the horse do something so simple that he can't say no. So the idea of that, that became round pinning, which would be say Just have the horse move. Don't care how fast he moves. Don't care. Which direction he goes, just move. Then he said, okay, now that you can move, can you change directions? Now can you change directions consistently? Now can you turn inside consistently? Now can you turn outside consistently? And he just kept pushing that. So the idea of it was getting the horse to say yes, and then begin to keep saying yes to where you can get to your end goal or what you're trying to achieve. But it takes no brains to make the horse say no. <laughs> So, I mean, that was the whole idea of outfitting was to get something so simple that he can make that horse say yes and then you get that horse in the habit of saying yes yes
0: yes yeah that's that's fascinating I, when I watched the show in 2005 it was shortly after my uh, shortly after that my horse cut himself on his back leg and I was I was new to horses I'd had my horse for three months didn't really prepare the pen that he was in and he, and he he had a pretty nasty gash on his back leg, and he wasn't—you uh, know—I was really inexperienced, and he wasn't the most friendly horse. And had to take him to the vet, got him wrapped up, and the vet said, uh, "You know, you should bring him back here to redo the bandage because uh, I don't think you can handle it." And you know, money's tight, and it was—I'd uh, already was feeling bad that I let him get injured, so I'd seen. John do this exercise where he got the horse to stand on his toe with his leg cocked, and it was a back leg, and that's the leg I was going to have to re-bandage. So I'd go out there before work every morning, and I'd work with this horse trying to do what, what your dad had shown on the TV show, and then in the afternoon, I'd watch the show again, and in the afternoon, I'd practice this little exercise of just working the horse until he lifted that leg for you on purpose, and make a long story short, the bandage had to be changed in four days, and by the time the fourth day came along, that horse was holding that leg up to me, and let me rebandage it, and saved me quite a bit of money on that vet bill, too.
1: <laughs> I did. That was a, that was a good exercise. One time it, was, it was about how to stop horses that kick, or people that were having a hard time picking up those hind legs, and that horse kicking out or putting weight on it, and It was just simply disengaging the hip until the inside hind leg cocked and rested.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, the idea was like he to pick it up with the rein instead of you picking up with the hand.
0: Right. When I was reading your bio, it said that like when you were 16, you went to Minnesota to train horses. Had you left him at that point and tried to, to strike out on your own? Were you developing your own horsemanship style at that time?
1: Yeah, I was doing both. You know, I worked for him on the road and, and doing the clinics. But I started giving clinics when I was 16. This barn from Minnesota called us and asked if they had their head trainer quit and want to know if I would cover for him for three or four months. And it was teaching jumping lessons and, and breaking horses out. And if I would cover for about three or four months, they found another trainer. So I said, sure. So I went up there and worked for about three or four months and ended up being about eight months cause they didn't, they didn't want to let me go. we kind of stayed there and kept working horses so that was my first job at a barn where and I wasn't trying to do that just they're actually friends of mine and they just needed somebody to to fill in and that's kind of where I started with all the jumping when when I started training horses I I kind of thought I just want to be the best at all of it right I didn't want to be known just as a cold starter or a problem horse guy or so I I went in and I started giving jumping lessons so I could learn how the English side of the horsemanship works. So learning the Cavaletti and the wagon wheels and stride count and all that. So I learned all that. And then went from there and went, started teaching massage, you know, really got into massage like that. I love the body control and the movement. Did some rest and pleasure. Now I do a lot of reining. I team roped and rode broncs for 10 years. I do a lot of movie training and trick training for, for movies. I just thought I just wanted to do all of it. I didn't want to stick to one area or get stuck in one area. I mm-hmm. just wanted to be able to take a horse and from no matter what discipline or what area if someone came to me that I could help them in that, that discipline. So then I got hooked on reining and now I, I compete in reining as well in Oklahoma City and do that. I did the first ever colt starting challenge. That was against Pat Prelly and Craig Cameron. It was called In a Whisper. It was done in Fort Worth, Texas. And you had two and a half hours to break a horse out and then compete on it. That was the very first one who ever did that. I just kind of, I just enjoy horses. I enjoy problem solving. Like, I like riddles. I like trying to figure out how to get that horse to understand what, what I'm looking for. And... To me, that's all horse training is, is. Horse training is figuring out how to convey my thought to him, how I take my idea and make it his idea. So it really doesn't matter what I'm trying to do, whether I want to go out and rain or do rest and pleasure or trail ride or, or compete in rain. Or, it, it really doesn't matter what I want to do. It's just, the philosophy never changes. It's how do I take my idea and make it his? Right. That kind of really drew me into training back then.
0: Well, one of the things that caught my attention and prompted me to contact you for this interview was a social media post where you were going on about your horse is not your partner. This isn't a partnership, and I think a lot of recreational horse people get into that mindset that oh, this is a you know this is a partnership. It's an equal partnership. I want my horse to to be part of my. My life as a partner. But you explained that that's not really the best way to look at it. Can you expound on that?
1: Oh, sure. People or trainers, what they did, I mean, it's marketing, business. Three top words in advertising are free, natural. <laughs> natural is a good one. So, free, natural, and organic. And trainers took the idea and sold that uh, this is a partnership. Well, it's not a partnership. You know, my, my wife's a partner. I say, honey, I'd like to go to movies. She says, no. I say, okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how a partnership works. My horse, they're, they're too dangerous. They're too big. They're too powerful. And you can walk into a room with, with 10,000 people and you can ask them, say, have you or you've known somebody hurt by a horse? And every single person will raise their hand. So to me, this never was a, a game. I t- I took it very serious. And. It wasn't matter if the horse was sore or what happened in the past or or anything changed. It was the fact that that I had to learn how to control that horse every step, every inch, all the time. Otherwise, I'd get hurt. And doing it as a partnership, you're saying, okay, you can decide today. You you pick today, or you don't want to cross the, the creek, okay, it's your choice today. My uh, partner now well, people get kind of confused. It's not that I don't love my horses. It's not that I don't have a relationship with my horses. But when I climb on their back, it's not a partnership. I control every inch, every step, you know, because again, it's just too dangerous. And making it a partnership and that kind of stuff, what you're doing is you're giving them an excuse not to do it, you know, and and we do that all the time. We say, well, he doesn't do it because you're not asking, right? Or he doesn't do it because his past, you know, some guy did this and did that, and that, that's one of the hardest things to get people to understand is the past is irrelevant. It doesn't change anything. Now, if someone brings me a horse and says, hey, Josh, I like you train this horse, but he's killed the last three guys with a black hat every time you get in the stall. Well, what happens is when I go to that stall, I, I automatically forget to bring my hat or something. <laughs> you know, so you, I already approach that horse differently. I'm already expecting him to make that mistake. Right. People tell me all the time, they want to tell me the back history of the horse. You know, when I tell them, I really just, you know, I listen cause I'm polite, but I'm really not listening because the more I listen, then the more it changes the way I'm going to address this horse and the horse, what's the greatest thing about horse is it has the ability to change the moment you change the moment you expect something different, that horse would change. So all of our clinics and our schools that we teach, the idea is if you change the rider, you change the horse. Don't change the horse and then try to bring the rider to it. Change the rider, you change the horse.
0: That's a good point. I think uh, I've had friends who have taken their horse to trainers, left them for three months, brought them back, and the horse is good for the first month. But because the person didn't change, the rider didn't change, the horse reverts back to the same problems it was having before it went, went off to the training.
1: Always. You know, and I tell my trainers taking horses in for training, It's a lose-lose battle every time. You can fix the horse, but when you send that horse back, that horse will always revert back to the level of that rider. They're going to call you in 30 days and say, hey, you didn't fix my horse, or the horse is doing the same problem again. And that's not the trainer's fault. The idea is that trainer needs to train that person to keep up with that horse. And that, and it, and it saves people money. Actually, I mean, the idea is, to say, listen, you know, I can fix your horse, and, and it's so much easier for them just to send me the horse and fix it and send it back. <laughs> I mean, that's just so much easier. But again, it doesn't help that person. Right. So the idea is, is we want to change the people. We got, to, we got to educate people and say, listen, you can do this. Let me yeah. show you how to do this. Let me show you how to communicate. I'll give you a great example about this about about training. You know trainers talk about one release, right? So when you pick up the rein and the horse gives to the bit or softens his neck up, then you release. Right. That's all they ever talk about. Softness. Well, there's like five releases in horse training, not one. One release is the softness, right? But that all that does is slow a horse down. So now, if I get a horse that's hot, excited, nervous, you know, I can do any softening exercise, and it'll quiet that horse down. But the problem is now I got the horse too slow. Now I'm trying to say, hey, hurry up a little bit, speed right. up. Now I got to learn how to change my release to say, okay, I'm not releasing on softness; I'm releasing on a response. So when I pick up that rein. I don't care if he pulls on the bit. I care if the feet move here, or, or they go a certain direction with, with with emphasis or speed. So now I'm putting speed back into my horse. So knowing different types of releases. It's a huge deal, you know, because one is going to slow a horse down. One's going to speed a horse up. So if I, if I'm working on response release and I'm, and I got a real hot, feely horse, I'm just going to make the problem worse. If I'm working on a softness release and I got a horse that doesn't really want to move and, and I'm having a hard time, you know, encouraging him and motivating him to get to that lead or lead change or that. And I work on softening exercises. I'm going to make that worse. Right. So Educating people about the different types of releases. And like I said, I got five releases. You know, mark training. Mark training is a great release. Mark training is where you can make anything the release. And and we've all used it at some point. We might not have understood it, but we've used it. So the idea is like this. If uh, I wanted the horse to cross the creek, and he doesn't cross the creek, then I take him away from the creek and I work him. And then I let him go back to the creek. I release him toward the creek. All right? If right. he doesn't cross it, I take him away, I work him, and I release him toward the creek. So pretty soon, the creek becomes the release. I'll give you a better example. I'll make it even clearer. If you put a piece of plywood down a round pin, and you round pin the horse until he touches the plywood, and then stop, leave him alone. Within 20 minutes, you can throw that plywood anywhere in that round pin, and that horse will run over and stand on it. Yeah. Because now, the plywood has become the release. That's mark training. Right? So like when you see a horse run up to a certain spot in the movie set, there's a piece of plywood there. It's it's smart training.
0: Yeah, it's very similar to the to a trailer loading. You'd use that for that too, right?
1: Yep, hundred percent. So we've all used it to a point, but we can actually go further with it. We can use it in an exercise. So, say I'm trying to spin the horse, and he's not spinning very good. So what people would do is pick him up and try to correct him in the spin. Well, that makes the spin the correction. Well, that's not going to make the horse motivated more to want to spin. So what I do is I offer the horse a spin, he doesn't, I take him out of the spin. I correct him out of the spin, and then I release it and I go back to the spin. So now the spin becomes a reward.
0: And What's the correction? When you take him out of the spin, what, what are you doing?
1: So say, well, there's uh, 20 corrections. So Say, say I go to spin and spin and, and there's three parts to a spin. You got the start of your spin. So how the horse starts and, and comes across that inside shoulder. So if I'm spinning to the right. I need that right foot to step back first and get out of the way. So that left foot can come around.
0: Right. So
1: when I'm working on the start of the spin, I'm, I'm focused on just that that step. If I'm working on my cadence, my rhythm, which is the next part of the spin, is how he's holding that that cadence, that rhythm in the spin. Or I'm working on my shutoff, that he's hitting that shutoff hard and, and, and quitting good. So say... My cadence. He's he's kind of stiff on his cadence, he's not really moving freely through the shoulder. Then what I'm gonna do is as he as he makes that mistake, I'm gonna pick up both reins, frame him up and push him out of spin and drive him into the bit and kind of work on his ribcage pushing forward into his into the pole and into the bit and kind of put all the pressure on his ribcage there, and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take it off and release it into the turn. Another example would be this. If I take If I want to spin to the right, I don't add my left leg. What I do is I open my right leg and his job is to chase that right leg. Okay.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So if I take that leg away from him, he needs to bring that shoulder toward it. Well, if he doesn't, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my right leg back on I'm going to push him out Mm -hmm. of the spin and just kind of drive his hip around with that right leg. And then when I feel him kind of look at that right leg, I'm going to relax, open that leg and let him go back to that spin.
0: So he finds that that's the best place to be, is in that spin.
1: Right. If you if you took somebody and you were standing next to him and you kept hitting them in the shoulder, okay? Yep. Well, you see is you start seeing that person lean into the hit. Because he knows the closer he gets to your fifth, the, the less powerful it is, right? All right. So if I take my inside leg and I start bumping this horse, he's going to start to, eventually start to lean into my leg a little bit. The moment I feel that, I'm going to stop bumping him and open that leg up and let him chase it.
0: I like that philosophy. I, like, I think that's pretty cool. As you go around the country, do you find that there's just one thing everybody is struggling with? Or is there is there one thing that uh, there might be just an easy solution if uh, a rider were able to change their, their attitude? If you could snap your fingers and say, I want this to be gone now. The one
1: thing that I run in common that really everybody has in common is expectations. When we're working a horse, we look at everything that they're doing wrong. So all of a sudden I'm trying to work on this horse just not pulling on me, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the circle, trying to get this horse to learn how to rate and not pull on me. Well, then what happens is as I'm working on that, the shoulder starts to drop in a little bit. So people, what they do is they switch from focusing on the softness and what they were trying to get done to now, wait, there's another problem over here, let's fix that problem. When in reality, you cannot teach one thing and have it not affect everything. So to fix one problem at a time is the hardest thing for someone to do. What they do is they start fixing this problem, but then they start seeing all these other problems. <laughs> I'll give you a great analogy. All
0: right? Okay. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's like your first date. You meet this girl. It's your first date. She comes over to your house. You're getting ready to leave. And you ask her, what do you think about my green chair? Now, it's a it's puke, ugly green chair in your house. <laughs> Right, And of course, the girl says, "That is a great chair. Now, you know, it's a lie. She doesn't like the chair, but that's your test, right? Uh-huh. That's your first date. And she's already trying to get rid of your chair, but she's not going to tell you that right now. Now what happens is you marry this girl and then you come home two months later and you find the furniture is rearranged and the chair is about 10 feet closer to the door. And you ask her, you say, why did you move my chair? I like my chair. Where is that? And she says, well, I moved it because I saw it on a better home living center and it makes the room look more spacious <laughs> again. Not, not true, but it makes sense. She had a reason for it. Right. So we're not upset. a few more weeks go, go down the road. We come home. We can't find our chairs. Hey, where, where did you put our chair? Oh, I put it in the den with all your stuff. I know you like to have your stuff together. So I put it all, all together with your, stuff. <laughs> it's not true, but makes sense she's got a reason for it so we don't get upset another two weeks go down the road we can only can't find the chair anywhere and we ask her what 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 happened to our chair well don't you remember i threw it out two weeks ago that's what <laughs> horse training is is you have all these green chairs all over this horse and if you try to get rid of them all at once they're going to ask you to leave right so that is to just rearrange one chair at a time a little bit a little bit and, and be able to move that chair out of that out of that house without that horse, even knowing you did it. But what we do is we refocus on all the green chairs at once, right? Instead of saying, "Okay, listen, let's just fix one problem."
0: Yeah, that's just human nature. You know as you're describing that, I've caught myself doing that. Okay, I'm going to work on picking up this lead, and all of a sudden, you know, my horse gets pushy, and I go, "Oh no, now I got to work on the pushy part." Well. Before long, something else is starting to leak out. It's like playing a game of whack a mole. A problem <laughs> pops up. My attention goes to that problem instead of the very original problem that I should have been working on the whole time, right?
1: Right. We go out there we start working and we have this, this game plan. You know, we have this outline, this process. We have all the right intentions. And we grab this horse, we start working. And then, like you said, other things start happening and it's just a magnet and it draws your attention. Off the problem that you wanted to fix to something else. So pretty soon you've gone four or five different issues on this horse and we haven't fixed any of them. Instead of focusing on one and fixing it, finishing it all the way through and knowing that if I'm going to fix that one problem, then what happens is it affects everything with that horse. It doesn't just affect that problem. It affects everything. And that's really hard for people to see. You ask people, so when do you lose your temper? When do you actually get frustrated and lose your temper? And really, the only time people do it is with a lack of forward progress. You'll yeah. argue with somebody for eight hours if you think you can change their mind. But the moment you hit that wall, you're like, man, I'm done. Now you're mad. Yeah. So the ability to see progress when you're in that problem, that's a, a skill of its own. Is you have to be able to see progress. And the reason that's so important is so that you don't lose your temper. You don't get frustrated. As long as I'm moving forward, then it's not, it's not a race. I'll exactly. get there. You know? and, and one thing about a horse is they're, they're never done. We have the idea that, well, if I could just get a nice lead change, I'd be happy. No, you won't be. Cause the moment you do one, you're going to ask me, can I do two? Right. And then once you say, can I do two, can I do it in a straight line? Yep. Now can I do Tempe changes? Yep. So your expectations keep growing. They never quit. So you're never done. You're always training this horse for
0: life and what you said about the the progress is really uh, is really important too i think because with a horse you know if you're not if you set the goal too far ahead then you're going to run into that wall much quicker but if you make little tiny goals i want my horse's right front foot to move this far and and you just have that little goal, you can always start to improve. So I think that's an important point that you're talking about too, is that if you're not getting what you want, maybe go back a step and ask for a smaller result.
1: Sure. It's like if people work on giving to the bit, they don't want the horse to pull, they work on just giving to the bit. I can release on the horse just pulling less. Not giving. He's still yeah. pulling, but now he's pulling less and I can let go. So pretty soon he's not pulling at all, like gonna Then pretty soon he's actually giving me energy and movement. But we start with that goal and we think, okay, we need him to come off that bit, soft, round up, and and moved. Well, then all of a sudden, that's our only release. And we don't have any building steps to that. Right. That's exactly what what you're trying to say is listen, you don't have to just release on your goal what you're looking for. It's a it's a process. And some horses I might release you know, on them pulling less. Some horse I might release on them, on them actually giving. It just depends on where that horse is at. You have to adapt to every horse you ride, and every horse is different. There is no stamp to say, okay, this is for every horse. Really to adapt and change and learn how to motivate to create or inspire or change. And if I can't motivate him, well, then he's not going to change. Seeing those steps and saying, okay, I can't ask for less. It's not that I'm, I'm just trying to get to my goal. It's like picture if you're walking – across the football field. Your goal is to get to the end of the football field. How many steps does it take to get to the, that end? And we get upset by taking that we're not at the end. We're making the steps to get to the end. And as long as we focus on the steps, then we'll get to the end and we won't be frustrated. But if you look up and you don't look at the steps and you just see the end goal, then you're going to get frustrated.
0: Very cool. So you give clinics around the, the country, but what's a typical Josh Lyons horsemanship clinic like can you give us an idea
1: one of the the first things we we cover is we, we talk about five different releases but the most important thing is i talk about my foundation and a foundation is the most important part of training you have to have a solid foundation now to me the most important thing that i have on my horse is guide he's got a guide if i say go right go right if i say go left go left if i say stop Stop.
0: Right.
1: I don't care where his head's at. I don't care that he's soft or I just care that he guides. That's the most important. If I said, I'll, I'll give you a choice, I can make your horse look really pretty, have a really nice frame, nice headset, but you don't get to pick speed or direction. Or I'm going to have your horse ride around like a giraffe, but he'll always turn when you ask him to turn. He'll always stop when you ask him to stop. Which one would you rather ride?
0: I'd rather ride the second one.
1: That's right. Everybody. Everybody's the same, but everybody focuses so much on that nose. Say, I want you to look pretty while you're not listening to me. So guide is the most important. We think that the mouth causes all the problems, and it doesn't. The mouth, it's like an argument. If you're married, you found out you've had an argument. (laughs) Now, if you think that the mouth's the issue, next time you're in an argument with your wife or spouse, go up and put duct tape over the mouth and see if it stops the argument. (laughs) Yeah, by now find it, it, it does. It does. I tried it. It does not work. <laughs> so, so now what I've learned is the horse's body is 95 to 98% of all resistance. So if I'm riding a circle on my horse and he starts fighting that bit, why is he fighting it? He's fighting it because the shoulder wants to go out the gate or he's trying to get back to his buddy horse. Right. So the argument started with the horse's body, but it showed up in the mouth, just like an argument with your wife. Starts with something else, but shows up in the mouth. Right. So if I take the resistance out of the body and teach the guide, and all of a sudden I don't have any resistance in the horse. Now I have two or 3% that I'm going to work on just making a pretty headset. But if I can slope a circle to the right and not worry about speed and not worry about direction, then how hard would it be to say, I'd like you to put your head in this position while you do it? Instead of trying to work on speed and direction and say, I like you look pretty doing it. Right. So, teaching people guide. Guide first. Then I go from guide to give. Give is just simply touching the rein and saying, hey, can you give to the bid? And understanding what a give is it's no pull, it's recognition, it's response. It's that that horse actually, when you pick up that rein, he doesn't pull on you, he doesn't go to neutral, but he actually gives and gives impulsion to you with, through that nose. So understanding what a give is. And then going from give to frame. Now, there are two different things. The give, the moment that horse starts to give, you let go. You say, hey, that was correct. So give actually has some timing involved. But a frame has no timing. So when I pick that horse up, I can frame that horse for five minutes, ten minutes, ten seconds. Until I get what I'm looking for. All right? Mm -hmm. So I fix my guide. I start to give. Then I go to frame. Once I go to frame, then I work on elevation. So now I'm saying, okay, I want you to hold your neck or your pole at a certain level. So now I'm working on my, my elevation on this horse. And the very last thing I work on is my position, not the horse's position, where I put my hand down, all right? And I put my hand in the position where I, I would like to show this horse. So if I fix guide, then I go to give, then I go to frame, then I work on elevation, and then I work on my position. Now, anytime that horse messes up, what happens is this. If if he's fighting elevation, then that tells me he's not framing. If he's mm-hmm. fighting framing, then he's not giving. If he's fighting giving, then he's not guiding. Yeah. So it allows me to go back instantly or at least recognize wherever the problem's at. So if I can teach people this foundation, then what happens is they always know where to go and, and what to work on without getting upset. So I might be on position for three days in a row. And then all of a sudden I come out and he didn't feel like doing that. And I go back to elevation. I might be there for five minutes then I'll be back on position. I might have to go back to framing for 10 minutes or go all the way back to GIF, and then I'll move right back up to position again. But it always lets me know where to go at all times. Right. So that's how we would start the clinic out. And then once they understand the five different releases, The foundation steps, and then we apply that foundation into different exercises. Because that foundation is not for just one thing; it's for every exercise.
0: Right. Yeah. So then, and then you work through those exercises. Then.
1: Right. And so, depending on the clinic, you know, if I'm doing a three-day clinic, it's probably between seven and eighteen different exercises that we'll cover. I'm doing a five-day clinic. They want to cover twenty-five to thirty. But if I'm doing like a trainer's clinic, what we do with theres we're going to cover about 50 different exercises. The idea is that for the trainers, they're taking these exercises home with them to teach their students That help their business. So depending on the clinic, it depends on how many exercises we cover. But I always go, as many as I can get done, depending on the group I'm in.
0: The last part that you were talking about, the trainers, that's part of the Lions Legacy training program. And you do that online and in person?
1: Yes. We have an online school that we do. And what I do with that is we do a Zoom meeting only every couple weeks where I get on and just talk with them and see if they have any questions. And I keep posting, I think we've got 80 or 90 videos in there right now. We're going to add another 40 videos. We just keep adding new videos to it. And people go out and work and play. And then about every two weeks I get on and talk with them for an hour and see if they have any questions and problem solve that way. The trainer's clinic is a five-day clinic that uh, I'm telling you, okay, listen, when you come to the trainer's clinic, you're not teaching your horse as much as we're going to go through 50 exercises, and you're going to do every one of them on your horse, but you're going to go through it not enough that the horses really learn it, but that you learn it so you can take it home. When I'm doing a three-day clinic or a five-day clinic, then what we're doing is we're focusing on that rider and that horse to get, get those exercises taught. Right. The certification and accreditation, as far as the trainer's class, those are four-week programs, and I take three to five students. I don't take any more than that. I used to take like 19. Now I take three to five, and it just, it's a lot more intense, and it works on that person with their horse individually from unbroke horse all the way to finished performance work.
0: Well, so the people bring an unbroke horse then with them, or how does yeah, that work? Some
1: bring, some bring two. Some don't. Some just bring broke horses. Now, they're still going to go through those exercises. They don't have to bring an unbroke. And I tell them, I mean, if you, if you don't want to go out and start horses, don't bring an unbroke. Right. Focus on the area of the train you want to be in. That's the idea of, of our trainers. We have about over 600 trainers now in 48 states and 13 countries. And what we pride in is that they're all different. They're all unique. We, we're not trying to make cookie-cutter trainers. There's some fans that really specialize in gauge horses and some that work on reining work and some that just trail ride. This business is is huge, and, and what you have to do is find your passion and what you enjoy and focus on that area. Don't try to think that you need to do all of it.
0: I was reading about your program, and I've, I thought that was fascinating, is that you give people – the general philosophy, but then you also want them to develop their own style. And then not only that, you, from what I was reading, it shows that you give them some tools on the business side of everything. You give them some leadership education, you give them how to set up clinics and how, or how to plan a demo. And I thought that that was really important too, because someone, we might be really good with horses, but we might not be really good at networking or uh, leadership or, or our people skills might not be as good. So you give people that type of education as well.
1: Yes, it does. It's, it's it's important. You can be a great horseman, but not a good businessman. And you really, you got to have both in this industry. And in today's market with the with the marketing and, and all the, the social media platforms and all the different things you can do. I mean, it, it takes a whole nother degree just to, to learn all that kind of stuff. I mean, Social marketing. My kids know it way better than I do. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible, but they they know everything about social marketing. And uh, we want people to su- succeed, and our business depends on it. Right. We don't want anybody to fail. One thing that's unique about our program is once you've gone through it, you're allowed to come back and watch and observe and help me teach every program after that for life. It doesn't cost more money because our training keeps developing and getting better and faster and, and understanding more we learn new exercises so we want our trainers to be able to come back and learn those exercises and take them back out because the more they succeed the better it is for us right. we're not charging you to do that they, they go through a program once once you've gone through that program i mean you're you family you're in we want you to come back and like i said we don't charge for it
0: we Very encourage
1: cool. it you know we want you to come back and learn the new exercises and some people come back for one week a year and some come back for eight weeks a year it just depends on that person and what they need to the help with. And like I said, we we're a hundred percent interested in people succeeding. You we know, we're not interested in them failing. And so once they've gone through you know, we encourage them, come back, it doesn't cost you anything. Come back, help. It will help you with your teaching skills, anything new we've learned, any way we can help out. You no, know, we want to, because again, that's really, it helps our business. Right,
0: right. That's a pretty cool philosophy. I like that. That's, it's pretty neat that they can go back and continue their education with you. Well, this has been pretty. This has been very informative, and it's fun talking to you. I enjoy your advice. Do you have any special plans for twenty twenty three? This is actually
1: the only year I don't have a uh, fraternity horse for Oklahoma City this year, so I really don't know. I think I might focus a little more on Derbying this year and try to go for the run for a million and play around that a little bit. But we have. 30-some clinics this year from Alaska to ever else. Wow. So I really focused really hard this year on the online school, uh, our programs. We have our new school. We're the only trainer in the United States that is a licensed college. So it's an occupational school. So what we do is is we're approved for all the veterans and all GI bills because that's one thing I'm real passionate about. I love teaching the vets. So we have a lot of vets that, that come through the program, and, and it's paid through the government because it's their benefits. They've earned them. Right. But so they can now uh, use them to train horses and go to, go through that program. and We're the only uh, licensed school that does that.
0: You went through all that licensing process to get your program approved to be able to have people come to your educational programs.
1: Yeah, it took about seven years oh, of going man. through the state and, and the VA to get everything done so we've been open in Colorado for a while, and now we just became a licensed school in Arizona. We're going to have two different locations. The The VA benefits work for anywhere in the United States, but they have to learn either in Colorado or Arizona now. They have to learn where the school is recognized through the state. Right, right. So we just got Arizona open.
0: Well, that's a great program. That's a, a great thing to do.
1: Well, I think anything we can do to get back to our vets, I think it's just –
0: I agree. So if people want to find out more about that and, and more about Josh Lyons and the Lyons Legacy training, where should we send them?
1: We can go to joshlyons.com. i On there. they have my office number and my wife's number, and they have Christian, the girl that works for us. She's phenomenal. Michelle. But they have all those numbers that they can contact. You know, Michelle runs the, the program for the vets, so she, she really understands all the, the GI bills and the benefits and how they... Set you up and where to go from there. Christian does the scheduling for clinics and privates and really about everything. We got, a, we got a great team. If you just go to joshline.com click on the number and we'll direct you and, and get you taken care of.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. Kristen helped me uh, set up this interview. She's very efficient. I appreciate her help quite a bit. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know it's probably a busy time of year getting ready for the rest of the year, and uh, I really appreciate you taking time out and and sharing your thoughts with us.
1: Oh, anytime! But I really appreciate you having me on here, and I think what you're doing is phenomenal. You
0: well, know, thank you.
1: More people thank- get information out there and help, and, and we all have that one goal. We all just want to get better. That's it. That's a great great thing you're doing. And I really really thank you for it.
0: Well, thanks, Josh, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll meet one day and get a shake your hand.
1: Yeah, that sounds great, buddy.
0: Well, that will do it for this episode. Thanks to Josh Lyons and the Lyons Legacy team for helping me set up this interview. Josh is one of those horsemen that you love being around and I hated to end our conversation. It's easy to tell what's important to him. He loves training in all disciplines and educating horse owners everywhere. And he's doing something special with his training company by getting the required certifications and making his programs more available to veterans and other students. There are a whole lot of ways to access Josh's information. I have all the links to his site, social media, and contact information at woepodcast.com. Check it out. I think you'll be impressed. Do you have an idea for a show or would you like to suggest a guest? Email john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. I love hearing from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.